Well, it would be my joy if you would uh, join me in Luke chapter 13. Luke chapter 13, we've been walking verse by verse through the book of Luke, looking at Jesus Christ, the Son of God, Jesus, the friend of sinners, which is good news for us because if you're in here and you're not Jesus, you are a sinner who is in desperate need of Jesus. And so one of the things we do is we open up God's word, we hear God's truth, and our desire is week after week to catch a glimpse of Jesus, to look away from ourselves and to look at Jesus Christ together. That's exactly what we're doing today in Luke chapter 13 as we think about the king and his kingdom. It says this, beginning in verse 18, it said, he said, therefore, what is the kingdom of God like and to what shall I compare it? It's like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his garden, and it grew and became a tree, and the birds of the air made nests in its branches. And again he said, to what shall I compare the kingdom of God? It is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour until it was all leavened. He went on his way through towns and villages, teaching and journeying toward Jerusalem. And someone said to him, Lord, will those who are saved be few? And he said to them, strive to enter through the narrow door. For many, I tell you, will seek to enter and will not be able. When once the master of the house has risen and shut the door, and you begin to stand outside and to knock at the door, saying, Lord, open to us. Then he will answer you, I do not know where you come from. Then you will begin to say, we ate and drank in your presence, and you taught in our streets. But he will say, I tell you, I do not know where you come from. Depart from me, all you workers of evil. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. When you see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, but you yourselves cast out. And people will come from east And west, from north and south, and recline at table in the kingdom of God. And behold, some are last who will be first, and some are first who will be last. At that very hour, some Pharisees came and said to him, Get away from here, for Herod wants to kill you. And he said to them, Go and tell that fox. Behold, I cast out demons and perform cures today and tomorrow, and the third day I finish my course. Nevertheless, I must go on my way toward today and tomorrow and the day following, for it cannot be that a prophet should perish away from Jerusalem. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent it, how often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you were not willing. Behold, your house is forsaken, and I tell you, you will not see me until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Let's pray together. Lord, we ask that in this moment you would help us see your Son. That you would help us see Jesus Christ. Because, Lord, so many of us are running after other kingdoms, running after other idols, running after other things of this world that could never satisfy us. But, Lord, we pray that you would open our eyes today that we may see 
Jesus, that we might see the beauty of his kingdom and the glory that belongs to him and him alone. And that, Lord, that would overwhelm our hearts, overwhelm our lives and the lives of those around us. Lord, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, have you ever been underwhelmed before? You think of a time where you've been underwhelmed. Where Have you ever been let down after being so excited for something? Have you ever been in a place where your expectations were, were really, really high, and yet they were not met? I know I have before. I don't know if I ever told you all about the time that Rebecca and I went to Las Vegas. Despite not being gamblers, before we had kids, we had this bright idea, let's go see it once. Let's go visit Las Vegas. So Rebecca jumped online. That's a key thing there. Rebecca jumped online and booked a hotel that had some great reviews. It was a great deal and in a moment, you'll see why. This, this place was called The Boardwalk. I don't know if you've ever been to Vegas, but it's not there. It was so great, they had to demolish it. It, it looked like Coney Island. She said when she read the reviews, hey, it even has a roller coaster. So I'm pretty excited about that. So we're excited. It's our, one of our first trips as an, a couple, a married couple. We've never been out west. And so we have some high expectations. Well, we get on the shuttle from the airport, and we're headed down the strip of Las Vegas. And the person's like, well, the first stop, the shuttle driver says, is New York, New York. And when we look at New York and New York, it does have a literal roller coaster running around the building. The next stop, Paris, all French. All posh, all nice, have the nicest designer lines, you know. And, and then it's the Bellagio. You know, we've all seen the famous fountains, the light show out there. Well, next they say, the boardwalk. And we turned and look out the window. And if we could have crawled out of the floorboard, we would have somehow got off that shuttle because of what we saw. Literally, I look over and the roller coaster, the roller coaster was some cardboard cutoffs, like in a wood display on top of the building, like some, some crash test dummies hanging out of like a plastic roller coaster cart. We won't even get into the rooms and what we found when we got in there, but, but talk about being underwhelmed. That's what comes to my mind when I think about being overwhelmed. Talk about being disappointed, about unmet expectations. We had great hopes, great expectations, but our great expectations led to great disappointments. And that happens a lot of times in our life, doesn't it? Where we have so many high expectations. We're expecting something great, and yet, Whatever we're putting all our hopes and our dreams and expectations on in this world, inevitably we are let down. But listen, brothers and sisters, this, this cannot happen when it comes to the kingdom of God. This cannot happen when it comes to our King. 
What if I told you that you can't have too high of expectations for the glorious kingdom of God? There is no such thing as having too high expectations when it comes to the kingdom. What if I told you that there was no such thing as being underwhelmed when you really see King Jesus? When you see the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the only Savior who can take away your sin? This morning, Jesus wants to completely dismantle all your misconceptions and bring clarity to your kingdom, to, to his kingdom. He wants to completely overwhelm you. Not only with the kingdom of God, but overwhelm you with himself. And so as we look at God's word this morning, that should be our prayer. That should be the prayer of our hearts. Lord, would you overwhelm me? Lord, I desire that you would overwhelm. Expand my vision for the beauty of your kingdom and for the glory of the King. Jesus wants to do that for us this morning. And the first thing he shows us in our passage is that the kingdom is bigger than you think. The kingdom is bigger than you think. See, Jesus has just really turned the synagogue upside down. She get, he just brought healing to a crippled lady. And, and this has disrupted the religious people, the Sadducees, all the religious leaders. Because they don't want him to break the Sabbath. Well, Jesus, in our passage today, he wants to take it a step further by dismantling their small, unimpressive thoughts about the kingdom of God. And he does this by using a couple of illustrations. He says, the first, the kingdom of God is like, is like a mustard seed. A mustard seed is so Small. It's one of the smallest seeds that anybody in the crowd would have ever heard about. This tiny seed, a man plants, he takes it out and he plants, and it grew so large that the birds, all the birds could come and make their nest there. This instantly made me think of the General Sherman. Do you know what the General Sherman is? It's the largest tree in the world. It's a giant sequoia it stands over 275 feet tall. If you're a college student, I want you to go to Pierce Ford Tower this week and look up and say, that tree was bigger than this building. That's a big tree. A giant tree. It's 100 feet in circumference. Breathtakingly massive. Yet even the largest tree in the world began with a seed the size of a pintop. Think about that. The size of a pintop. Like it's, it's nothing. And Jesus is saying to us, the kingdom, it, it might start small. It, it might look unimpressive to you right now. It might seem insignificant in light of the world, but it's not going to end there. Think, think about this. What started with Jesus and his 12 spiritual misfit disciples? What started with them? We're, we're gathered here worshiping King Jesus because of the expansion of the kingdom of God. Well, a second illustration he uses is one of leaven. 
A woman puts this small amount of three measures of flour into three measures of flour, and yet with the small amount of this leaven, it, it permeates, Jesus says, through and through all the ingredients. This transforming power of leaven to, to immerse itself, to, to consume everything in the bread. It, with just three measures of flour, you could feed that doesn't look like much, but you could feed over a hundred people. So Jesus is saying there's a lot more than what meets the eye. And Jesus says, this leaven, that the kingdom of God, he, he's talking about the immersive, transforming, all-consuming power of the kingdom of God. Jesus is saying there is not going to be anything left untouched by the king. If we think about all the world, all, all the continents, all the peoples of the world, and Jesus says there is going to be nothing left unaffected by his righteous rule and reign. I think about Mufasa telling little young Simba, everything the light touches, that's the kingdom. That's our kingdom what Jesus is saying. Everything the light touches all of the world, that's my kingdom. I say mine. I declare mine over it. Or, or listen to Habakkuk 2.14. Listen to what it says about the future of the kingdom of God. It says, for the earth will be, will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. That's a guarantee that the glory of God's going to fill the earth like waters cover the sea. Do you know how waters cover the sea? Completely. Like it's all water. It's, the sea is water over everything. And Jesus says one day the glory of the Lord will con completely consume the earth. That means, listen, that means even the darkest places on earth right now. Even the quietest places that don't know the name of Jesus. Even the unreached peoples who have never heard of his glory one day will, will shine with the glory of Jesus Christ. I don't know about you, but that's extremely encouraging to me when I think about the kingdom of God. Because sometimes when I think about the kingdom or I think about God's church, sometimes... I can have feelings of insignificance. When I think about the kingdoms, maybe words come to you like, well, weak or, or unimpressive or dilapidated. You probably didn't think of that word, but I learned that this week from Miss Julie in her class. Dilapidated, like beyond repair. Even as a Christian, I might shrink back. I might be embarrassed by the kingdom of God, by, by the church, because it, sometimes maybe we look out and the church feels like it's in survival mode. But yet the king, the king promises this morning that his kingdom will be large enough for all the nations to come find refuge in it. The king tells us that what's happening in this very room this morning, what's happening in this very room, this kingdom embassy gathering 
is more significant than any gathering of the United Nations. Anything that's ever happened in the White House, what's happening in this room is way more significant. The kingdom promise this, brothers and sisters, this is our future. From this point, we will see ever-increasing glory forever. And, and one day we will stand in glory we will stand in the glory of the kingdom, and we won't say, is this it? Like, not one of us is going to yawn for a second. No, we are going to stand in awe. Because the, the breathtaking, ever-expanding kingdom of God will make the Grand Canyon look like a little pothole. C compared to how, beauty and how, how beautiful and how breathtaking it will be. Second, Jesus tells us the kingdom is not just bigger than you think, but it's harder than you think. See, the Jews assume, despite the Old Testament prophets, they assume the kingdom would be small. This comes from verse 23. Listen to the question they ask in verse 23. Lord, will those who are saved be few? They assumed the kingdom would be small. And, listen, they assumed... That they would be in it, of course. Not only would it be small, but of course, I'm going to be there. There's a lot of misconceptions. A lot of assumptions when it comes to who is in the kingdom and how to enter into the kingdom. For Israel, for the Jews, it was the fact that they were Jewish. They were the children of Abraham. They were the true people of God. For some of us, maybe it's the fact that we grew up in a Christian home. I've gone to church my whole life. Went to youth group. I, was, I went to every VBS we ever had. Maybe we think we're part of the kingdom because we're pretty good people. We're nice people. We do nice things for people. We say nice things to people when we go to Kroger. Maybe it's because we've been baptized, or we prayed a prayer, or we walked an aisle. Listen, none of this means that you've been born again, that you've been made alive, that you've entered into the kingdom. Notice Jesus doesn't say how many people will be saved. Instead, he says how to be saved. He's saying the question is not, will the saved be few? He's saying, will you be saved. And this is how Jesus clearly answers it in verse 24. He says, strive to enter through the narrow door. For many, I tell you, will seek to enter and will not be able. That, the word strive there in the, in the Greek, it's, it's a word we get, it's where we get the word agonize or to struggle. It involves intense effort. Now listen, Jesus is not saying that you're saved by your effort. No, Jesus is saying nobody's ever been saved half-heartedly. Nobody's ever going to be entering into the kingdom going through the motions. No, no one's going to be in the kingdom of God who's given merely lip service that Jesus is king. That he's the Lord of their lives and he's worth everything in their lives. 
He says, one day the master of the house is going to rise up and he's going to lock the door. And in that moment, it'll be too late. You might knock and say, let us in. Jesus, we're here. We're knocking at the door. But, but he'll respond, I do not know where you come from. Or as Matthew, in Matthew 7, it says, depart from me. I, I don't know you. I don't know you. And, and listen to what their response is to Jesus. They say, Jesus, we ate and drank in your presence. And you taught in our streets. Like, Jesus, I, I was there. I ate in Simon's house with you. You, you asked me to pass the ketchup for your french fries. Do you, do you not remember, Jesus? Jesus, I was there when you gave your famous Sermon on the Mount. I even got the ticket. I got the ticket for where I was there. Listen, it, it's not familiarity with Jesus that saves you. It's following Jesus that saves you. It's not proximity to Jesus or proximity to the things of Jesus. It's experiencing the, the life-saving, resurrection power of Jesus. It's not hearing Jesus or hearing about Jesus when you go to church that saves you. It's surrendering to Jesus. Complete surrender and submission to the King. This is what makes growing up in the Bible Belt so dangerous. So dangerous just going through the motions or going to the church because our whole lives, if you grew up in the South, you grew up around Jesus, near Jesus, seeing things about Jesus. But Jesus says to them, depart from me, all you workers of evil. This would be so shocking to them. Because they're the people of God. They're the Jews. They never saw themselves as evil. No, to them, they were given the promises of God. They were given the law of God. But listen, Jesus never rebukes them for having the law. He rebukes them for not keeping it. He doesn't rebuke them for for not waiting for a Messiah, for not longing for the king to come. He rebukes them because now that he's here, they don't submit and surrender to him. This should be a warning to all of us here this morning that the door is narrow. And the door will one day be shut. That's clear from this passage, right? Don't let being in this room on a Sunday be false assurance for you. Don't let being near things about Jesus make you feel like you're a follower of Jesus. No, instead, it's about running from your sin and running to Jesus. It's, it's about turning from your idols and the things of this world that can never satisfy you and surrendering to the King of Kings. So let me ask you this morning, what would it be like for you to, to really strive? For you to really surrender, what would surrender look like in your life right now? What would, be, what would be given up if Jesus was really your king? What does what his lordship demand on your life? The kingdom, it's bigger than you think. It's harder than you think. 
Number three, the kingdom is broader than you think. The next thing Jesus says, which increases the shocking nature of the kingdom, look at verse 28 and 29 in the Bible. It says this, In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. When you see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God. Now that, that's, that's not the, the shocking part, right? Like, of course Abraham's in the kingdom of God. Oh, of course, when they look in the kingdom, they expect to see Abraham and Isaac and, and Jacob, the pillars, the patriarchs, even to see the prophets, those who brought the word of the Lord in the Old Testament, of course. But the shocking part is who, who is left on the outside and who else is on the inside. See, they're the Jewish people, and yet proximity to the promises of God wasn't enough for them. When they miss the Messiah, the, the one they've been praying for, the one they've been waiting for and longing for, and they don't surrender to the king when he comes, when they fail to surrender, well, the passage says they will be left out. And then instead, Jesus gives them a sneak peek into the kingdom. Look at verse 29. It says, and people will come from east and west and from north and south and recline at table in the kingdom of God. Now that's shocking. This is a picture of the Gentiles, the, the rebellious nations. It's a picture of the enemies who, who were definitely not supposed to be in there, right? They're not the people of God that... They were not given the promises. They are on the far, they are far off. They are outcasts. They don't belong here. I'm sure to the Jewish listeners, they were thinking, you know what? They're not even allowed in the temple. Why would Jesus allow him at his table? But listen to the promise of Isaiah 43, verses 5 through 7. This was said long before Jesus was on the earth, it says this, Fear not, for I am with you. I will bring your offspring from the east, and from the west I will gather you. I will say to the north, give up, and to the south, do not withhold. Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the ends of the earth. Everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory, who I formed and made. Jesus says, I have a people, a people from every tribe, tongue, and nation, and they're all created for my glory, for my name. Oh, the kingdom of God is going to be so shocking to many of us. It's going to be so shocking, especially because grace is the only ticket that gets you in. Grace is the only ticket. It's going to include so many people that you never thought would be there. Like so many people. So many death row murderers. So many former terrorists. So many Nazi shoulders. So many people who repented and believed who you would think would not be the type to repent and believe. While at the same time, there's going to be a lot of nice people charitable people, so many good church-going 
people who will miss out. All because you're not entered by your self-righteousness. You're not entered by your enoughness. You're not entered by what you can bring to the table. No, you come to this table. You come to the table in the kingdom of God only through the blood of Jesus Christ. Only being clothed, not in your righteousness, but the righteousness of Christ. Only because you have surrendered and submitted to the King. Those are the people that will be at the table. Because deep down, the truth about the gospel is that every one of us is on the outside. Every one of us should be, should be on the outside, should be the outcasts. We're all refugees who have run from sin and run from this world and run and found a refuge in Jesus. That's true of everyone who is in Christ. Do we belong here because of us? No, but do we belong here because of Jesus? Yes. We've been welcomed because of the blood of Jesus Christ who died on the cross for our sins, who rose again and who has covered us in his righteousness. Look, the, the kingdom is not going to look just like you. hope that's not a surprise to any of you. It's not going to be ordered around all of your preferences. It's probably not going to be in English. But we're going to worship in the language of heaven, singing songs to the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And when we look across heaven, the Bible says there's going to be a people from every tribe, tongue, and nation who Jesus came and sought and bought with his precious blood, saying salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. That'll be heaven. And it'll be more beautiful than you could ever imagine. One commentator says, the only passports to the kingdom are repentance and submission to God. The only passports when you come to the gates is, Lord, my only hope is Jesus. Now, we see a lot here about the kingdom. We see the kingdom is bigger, it's harder, it's broader than you think. But, but this is what makes the kingdom so beautiful, so desirable. The final one, the, the king, the king is better than you think. The Pharisees tell Jesus that he needs to get away from here. He says, hey, we know you're headed to Jerusalem. We think that's a bad idea. The, the religious people say, you want to run away from Jerusalem. They know that Herod is planning, he's plotting to kill him. And Jesus knows from this passage all about Herod, he calls Herod a fox. I don't know if I ever saw, heard that one on the playground growing up. He calls Herod a fox, meaning he's very sly, he's deceitful, he's cunning. Yet this doesn't derail Jesus from Jerusalem. He knows why he's going to Jerusalem. He's not going running from anything. He's going to die on a cross. Now, when you think of what a king looks like, is that the first thing that comes to your mind? Is that how you picture a king? If you're anything like me, you picture someone who's like grabbing for power, who, who wants somebody to serve him. 
Someone who wants all the glory and all the honor and who's, who's hungry for it. And he'll step on anybody in his way who will get in his way. But this whole passage displays the beautiful heart of Jesus. The, the beautiful, willing heart of our King. Because Jesus isn't journeying to Jerusalem for a crown. He's journeying, journeying to Jerusalem because He's willing to go to a cross. He's willing to accomplish His Father's will. Even willing to bear His Father's wrath for you. I mean, just listen to the willing and welcoming heart of Jesus. Listen to our passage, verse 34. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often would I have gathered your children together as a den, as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you were not willing. You know, deep down, that, that's really what every single one of our hearts really wants this morning. Every single person in here this morning wants to feel welcome. You, you want to be welcomed by a willing heart. We want to feel welcomed by our family, but sometimes feel cast out. We want to be welcomed by our workplace. And so we try hard and we try to perform well so we can earn that welcome. We want to be welcomed by, by friends or fraternities or sororities. We want to be welcomed by social media. We want to be welcomed by our relationships. So we try hard that we'll never lose being welcome, received in a relationship. We, we want to feel welcome even when we walk in here this morning. Every one of us wanted to feel welcome, wanted to feel like we belonged. These are undeniable desires for every human heart. You desire to be received, to be welcomed to be accepted, to, to belong, to find a safe heart that's saying, I'm willing to love you like that. I'm willing to love the real you. I'm willing to love the broken you, the messy you, the sinful you, the hidden you that you don't let everybody see, not the social media you. I'm, I'm willing to love you, the real you. And what I want to say to you this morning is, that is Jesus. That welcome that you're longing for is only found in Jesus. The last person that your sinful heart thinks would receive you, a, a holy king of kings welcoming you into his holy kingdom, he stands and says, I'm willing I'm willing to love you, to receive you, the real you, the broken you, the messy you, the hidden you. I want you. Maybe this morning you picture Jesus standing at the entrance of heaven, barricading the doors from real sinners. Like, not the good put together ones, but the real sinners like you who, who might contaminate his kingdom. 
who might bring your shame, your unworthiness to his table. And you see him with his arms crossed, not with his arms open. But that's not what Jesus says here, is it? Jesus says, I'm, I'm like a hen that longs to gather you to myself. I long to welcome you to my table. Whoever you are and whatever you have done, Jesus longs to welcome you to himself. Friends, Jesus' willingness to go to a cross displays his willingness to receive you forever. His willingness to go to a cross proclaims, shouts that he is willing to welcome you forever. J.C. Ryle says this, in light of the cross, the greatest insult you can give God is to doubt you, that he loves you. The greatest insult you could give God this morning is to doubt that he loves you. I say this to every unbeliever and every believer here this morning. Because even as a Christian, you can feel shame. I can feel like I don't belong. I can feel like I'm on the outside. You can get, come into a room that you come in week after week after week to a church that you say you belong to and yet feel like you have imposter syndrome. Like, do I really belong here? And by the grace of God, I say to you that if you feel that way this morning, that's not Jesus. That's not his heart saying those things about you. That might be you saying those things about you or Satan saying those things about you, but it's not the welcoming and willing heart of Jesus saying, come to me. I long together. You come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And we have to ask as his church, as his kingdom people here this morning, as Christ Fellowship Church, do we have this welcoming and willing heart of Jesus? Are we opening our homes so people can experience Jesus in his heart? Are we opening our hearts for those who nobody else would ever love? Nobody else would ever give them time. Nobody else would ever welcome them, but we would. Are we opening our, our lives so that unreached peoples, people in the darkest places who have never heard the name of Jesus might know the welcome of Jesus? Because we're going to Him. Paul says this in Romans 15. Welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you. So if you've been welcomed by the grace and the love of Jesus, your life should look like the welcoming, willing heart of Jesus. Listen, there's a, there shouldn't be any half-hearted disciples because we don't have a half-hearted Savior. I mean, we look at this passage, we have a wholehearted Savior. A wholehearted Savior who would love us while we were still sinners, who would welcome us like we, while we were still rebels. That's everyone. 
We're the outsider. We're the rebel. We're the sinner that doesn't deserve his grace. But he would love us while we were still sinners and welcome us while we were still rebels. If you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus Christ, my prayer in this moment is that you would hear the broken hardness in the words of Jesus. You would hear his real heart saying, how often I would have gathered you. How often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings. But then he says this, and you were unwilling. If you find yourself this morning outside of the kingdom, it's not because Jesus is unwilling, it's because you are. Think about that. If, if you find yourself outside of the kingdom, it's not because Jesus is unwilling, it's because you are. Because Jesus Christ, the posture of our wholehearted Savior, our welcoming and willing Savior, is that He is standing with open arms. Standing with an open heart, ready to receive any sinner who would repent and run to him. So the question this morning is, are you ready to come? Will you run from your sin and find welcome in your king? Will you rest in the welcome of Jesus? The heart of Jesus that say, you belong here. You are welcome here not because of you, but because of my blood and my righteousness. Will you rest in the welcome of Jesus? If you come, I, I promise you, you might be overwhelmed, but, but you will never be disappointed with the king and his kingdom. Let's pray together. Lord, we... Ask, Lord, that you would, even in this moment, overwhelm believers and unbelievers. Lord, overwhelm self-righteous people that maybe have depended on their enoughness, their, their worth, their going to church. Lord, would you overwhelm them with the grace of Jesus, he, that he welcomes even self-righteous people to himself. Lord, would you overwhelm sinners who feel like they have too great a shame? Lord, feel like that they don't belong. Feel like they would never be received by a holy king. Lord, would you speak by your grace? Would you tell them to come to you? Lord, would they hear this morning that you say that you have longed to gather them to yourself? And Lord, would you, they find rest through repentance and running to you this morning? Lord, we pray that, that you would take all our small and unimpressive and insignificant thoughts about your kingdom. And Lord, would you overwhelm us with the coming glory that's waiting for us in your kingdom. But even more so, we pray that you would overwhelm us with yourself. That you would overwhelm us with your heart. Your real heart, Lord, that loved us while we were still sinners, that welcomed us while we were still rebels. Lord, overwhelm us with your love and grace that we might find rest in the welcoming 
and willing heart of Jesus this morning. That every one of us would find rest in Him. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.